Hi, and welcome to Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And we are so glad that you decided to spend a little time with us today. We'll pour you a cup of a cup of tea as we sit here together and talk everything recovery, what it means to us. Just a reminder, too, that this little podcast is um, a production of love and a production of 12th Step work for us. We like to see it as our way of giving back to our community of sisters and brothers in recovery. And these thoughts are purely our own based on our own experience in recovery. We do not represent any organization or institution, um, but we just like to talk about some of the things that we've learned on our journey to recovery. This is our love child, Lisa. (laughs) I said to Julie when she showed up here today, I always get her to come just after my wife leaves. So there's no distraction. There's just the two of us. And it just dawned on me. I said, you know what? The security guards probably think I'm having an affair because you always show up right after (laughs) Ashley leaves. So it's kind of funny. Booty on the side. And with that, we're talking relationships today. Yes, we are. We got a listener email asking a question about relationships. And I read this and I was like, oh, sister, do I get it. What's the question? She says, So lately I've been feeling lonely like I want a relationship, although in my heart of hearts I know I'm not ready. My last relationship ended the day before I got sober. Ooh. Ouchie. I've always said I'm sober from pot, alcohol, and my ex. I know I loved him the best way my addiction would allow me to. That's interesting. I get it. He's part of my story and I can't forget that because that's something I don't want to be again. Uh, his family lives across the street, so it's constantly re- constant reminder to oh. her. They don't speak, and she gets angry sometimes when she sees them. Of course she would. And she's praying, and she's saying the serenity prayer. So she wants to know, when do you think it's you're ready to date again? And is it okay to date someone in recovery? <laughs> That's a good question. Lots of parts to it. Yeah, lots of parts I to it. I identify with all of it, except... Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say except the living across the street thing, mm-hmm. but I maintained oh, yeah. a relationship with my, I still have a maintained a relationship with my ex-husband's daughter. So, yeah. yeah, and I have to drop her off at her mom's house and I used to see his social, people post him and his new girlfriend on their social media. So mm-hmm. yes, I understand. You get that. Yeah. yeah. I do too. Um, my last partner, not my last partner, but my long-term relationship uh, with my ex, Lisa, um, it was, I think I've talked about this before too. I, you know, one of those, I always tested that relationship. You know, if it wasn't through, oh, you don't want to have sex with me? Well, this person does. I tried to make her jealous all the time and use manipulation and things like very unhealthy mm-hmm. thinking. And thank God for the step work because I've done a lot of work and growth on that. Um, but I remember I went, I found an apartment across the street from where we lived. And then I came to her and said, you know, um, at the time we were sleeping in separate bedrooms like it had gotten to that point and um i was just thinking why doesn't she just break up with me like this is crazy but i couldn't break up with her either Mm because i didn't want it to end but finally i got to the point and i went to her and i said you know um i just can't live like this anymore if you're not gonna sleep with me if we're gonna live in separate bedrooms this doesn't make any sense for us to continue to live together so i have an apartment across the street and uh she broke down she cried and she said okay i think that's a good idea which was not the way I was hoping it was going to go down, you know, because I was manipulating her. I wanted her to break down and say, no, please don't leave me. And it didn't work out that way at all. So I also lived across the street from my ex and I was um, still new in recovery. At that time, I was about a year and a half, uh, two years, two years sober, I guess, and struggling and really struggling. And then we broke up. And my first thought was, fuck this. I got sober 
for this woman and it still didn't work out. Mm. <laughs> so, and I did, I relapsed. I did drink shortly after that. Um, and I would take my dogs outside and go stand at the furthest part of the grassy patch where I could sort of look up and see a little bit into our old apartment to see if there was anyone oh, there with nice. her. If the lights nice were work. on, like I became so crazy. Yeah. Um, well, crazier than I had probably ever been. Yeah. It was really, it was a really difficult time. And I wasn't actively doing the things that were suggested. Um, you know, I should have doubled up my meetings at that time. I didn't do that. I went to less meetings. I held on to resentments. Um, I didn't talk openly to my sponsor. You know, all the things that they suggest you do, I did the opposite of. Um, another time I wanted to be in a relationship after this, you know, I was alone for a little while and then I'd met this person online and I wanted to be in a relationship. But right from the very first date, there was a warning sign in my gut that said, this is not the person for you. This isn't, you're just lonely. Don't. But the lonely feelings overrid the sanity. Um, cause this person I believe wasn't active in their addiction. Yeah. Loneliness is the worst reason to get into a relationship. It totally is. If and that's I, the reason, <laughs> oh, and I've been there, do, do not do it. Yeah. And I, I dumped my sponsor over this because he was suggesting, you know, you're putting relationships ahead of, I don't think you're ready for a relationship, but you know, you're going to learn, learn the hard way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to show you. So, and I ended up smoking pot during that relationship to help cope with, and then the relationship broke up and I smoked pot even more. So I couldn't blame that on her anymore. Yeah. It was all me. So that's how I relapsed on, on drugs and alcohol. So they say in the program, um, especially when you're new in recovery, uh, to not date uh, but they don't just say don't date for the first year. They say don't make any major changes in your life. Yeah. Because this is a major change in and of itself. Yes. You are not actively relying on a substance to help you get through life anymore. You're relying on other, you know, the program. You're relying on your sponsor. You're relying on, mm -hmm. if you're there at this point, you're relying on a higher power. And you're not clear yet of the patterns and the destructive behavior that led you to your addiction. So who's, you're, who's to say you're going to not make the same mistakes over again? Exactly. So it's not to punish you and say, no, we're going to control your life. Don't go out and get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah. It's to try to help you because people have been there already. They've walked that walk and it is hard because we tend to not listen. Yeah. And we people. also, the funny thing I think about us is we don't like to feel undesirable feelings, but you know what? It's part of our human condition. We will be lonely. We yeah. will be bored. We will be sad. We will have grief mm -hmm. and we have to learn how to tolerate these feelings. Yeah. And I know for me being alone was so, it was physically painful for me because it wasn't about now. It wasn't about adult Julie. It was about little Julie who felt neglected and abandoned and um, affection withheld and never hearing anything sweet and nice said to me. My childhood experience is very, I felt was very neglectful and abandoned. Mm -hmm. So being on my own awakened all of that for me. So it was easy when someone was like, I remember being told it's because I wasn't doing enough service when I would talk about how lonely I was and that I wanted a relationship right. or giving me all these stupid little tips and quips about my loneliness. But I didn't realize at the time that it was much deeper. It shouldn't feel that painful. So once I started to look at it and I self-imposed after years of online dating after my divorce, uh, I self-imposed, I shouldn't say self-imposed, I gave it to God because mm. I went, you know what? 
this is not working for me. I'm not seeing men or dating men that are appropriate for me to be with. You made me, you know what I desire, you know what's best for me, I'm giving it to you. And it was hard for the first little while. And this was several years into sobriety. This wasn't your first year in sobriety. No, this was four, four or five years into sobriety. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think made that's some... important to note, that's all. Well, I was three months separated when I decided to okay. start dating again. Okay, yeah. Because I, and rightfully so, I was like, do you know how lonely I was in my marriage? Like, it's not that I've just been separated for three months. I haven't had a connection with this man for years. Right. But I think, even though I was sober at the time, I still think when a divorce happens, you should, or a breakup, take a year, get to know yourself, get to know what that relationship was, do a fourth on mm -hmm. it, and know, then have faith and assurance that, no one's going to take a seat at the table that's set for you. You're not going to miss the person that's meant for you. And what's helpful to me a little bit in these situations is when I remind myself of all the other people that not only are lonely, but will never have that chance to have a relationship fulfilled. I think about people in the closet for their entire lives who will never be fulfilled in a relationship. Mm -hmm. People in the military that are dispatched overseas and that uh, can't have a relationship or widows left behind or people that are in prison for the rest of their lives. Like I tend to be poor me mm -hmm. and it's like, there are some people that are severely disabled and will never have the opportunity. Caretakers that will never pull themselves away enough from loved ones in order to have a relationship. So it's not the worst thing in the world, especially when I know someday it's gonna happen for me. Yeah. And we can get, um, we can get love from so many other uh, people it doesn't mm -hmm. always have to be a, a love partnership relationship mm -hmm. and I didn't uh, because to me sex was like paramount sex was very important so when people said well you you know you have friends there are people that love you I was like yeah but we don't have sex <laughs> so that's not doing me any good yeah um, what else was I gonna say there was another question there about um, oh in oh 13th stepping <laughs> oh the 13th step <laughs> yeah relationships in sobriety right in in is the same sobriety yeah. or in the room at the end is it okay to date someone in recovery in recovery i prefer not to mm -hmm. okay because oh i interrupted you so i was gonna wait till you're done oh no i prefer not to because i have mm -hmm. and i like to keep my program to myself yeah I like, it's a selfish thing. I just prefer to have the rooms, my own people, my own stuff, my own life. As much as it was awesome to date someone in recovery because they got it, Yeah. my personal preference is not to. Yeah. So my experience is the opposite of that because I'm married to a person in recovery who I met in the rooms. And we actually went through and had discussions like, so if this doesn't work out, <laughs> um, we I came to her home group and so the decision was between the two of us, if this doesn't work out, I will leave this home group because this was your home group first and I'm not going to stay and make you feel uncomfortable. Right. But that didn't happen. We ended up getting married. Um, we also do things like there are four, two, three, four different discussion rooms at our home group. And uh, if we're there on the same night together, we tend to not sit. I think one time it's happened and I was like, oh my God, that's weird. She's in the same room as me. I remember that meeting. <laughs> so I was like, they're both here in the same room. It's very bizarre. So we try to actively not be in the same room, which is funny because I don't often share things about my relationship. Usually it's um, other issues that are going on in my life, like work issues. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, so that we can feel that we can share openly in the room yeah. without, um, you know, hurting or betraying the other person in some way. And um, I like it because I did feel like when I was dating so-called normal people, um, I just felt like they didn't get me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, They either looked at me as poor you, aw, poor you, you can't drink. Mm. (laughs) Like my life was somehow, you know, not as good as theirs because they could drink. Um, Or uh, the opposite where they tried to get me to think that, um, hey, maybe you're not, you haven't had a drink in how many years? Oh, that happened to me. You're probably not. That was my not, relapse. Yeah. You're probably not an alcoholic. You could probably drink. Yeah. So. That's exactly what I heard. And now, but what I am, I'm very, I have a requirement. I don't know what you call it. I'm, I'm lost for words. But there is, um, I don't know if I call it a boundary, but the person that I'm in a relationship with who's not in recovery, not only has to accept them in recovery, they have to think it's really fucking cool that I'm in recovery. That's yeah. important to me. Yes. They have to admire my struggle and that I'm in recovery and I dedicate so much time to it, body, mind, soul, spirit, whether it's re- my own recovery or volunteer work. Because if they don't, I can't be with them. Because that takes a level of respect that that guy that I dated, who I ultimately relapsed with, did not have for my recovery. Mm-hmm. Was he in recovery as well at the time? No, but he oh. was like all on board with the fact that I was in recovery and within three weeks was encouraging me to drink and I eventually wow. did. Wow. Yeah, that's a sick dark fuck right there. <laughs> <laughs> sick dark fuck. Yeah. Yep. Like who does that? Yeah. Who does that? Somebody not well. They they talk about this in the big book too. I, is it the family afterwards where they talk about sometimes the family will become jealous of your new life in recovery. Because before, your life was all about, you know, drinking or doing drugs and getting high, and the family was left behind. And then you get clean and sober. They love this new, brighter, shinier you. But in order to keep that new, brighter, shinier you, you're off doing service all the time. And you're going to meetings. And, you know, you, you have to have, find a balance between family and and recovery. Yeah. But the recovery can't stop. And, and, uh, and I had that happen in a relationship, too, where my partner said, you know, do you have to go to meetings on Friday nights? Like, can't we have Friday night together? And it was only an hour, <laughs> you know, two yeah. hours maximum, half an hour before, half an hour afterwards. So we certainly could have done other things after the meeting, but it was like, you know, it ruined the night because I was off to an AA meeting, which is totally ridiculous. Yeah, it takes sacrifice mm-hmm. to live a true life in recovery, not just to be sober. Yeah. And just because someone else is in recovery doesn't mean they're a good candidate. Doesn't mean they're healthy. No. No. (laughs) No to that one. How many people do we know in recovery where you'd warn another person in recovery, (laughs) yeah, don't date that one. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're not right. Yeah. Like you have, just like getting to know a sponsor, you have to get to know someone to see how they work a program and live their life. Yeah. And I think, so that's a good thing. I think if you are thinking about this, if there's someone out there who's thinking about dating somebody else in recovery, um, maybe, uh, do they go to the same group as you? Maybe you might want to research some other groups then, you know, be ready to maybe do a different group so that you're not at the same group or you're not always in the same discussion meeting or, you know, make a list, have a discussion about it, have that conversation before you really get deep into a relationship with somebody else. Um, what are some deal breakers for you? Yeah. You know, what does a relation, a healthy relationship, go to page 69, do your relationship list. What does a healthy relationship look like to you? What do you bring to the table? 
Um, that for me was also a game changer. Um, was I ready for a relationship at that time? Um, maybe not. I got into a relationship, but at least I got into it with my eyes wide open and thought instead of like, oh yes, I bring fidelity now. I bring honesty now. Um, I bring a solid program of action now. Um, my sponsor also helped me realize, oh, I bring, um, I bring, what was it? I bring, I bring debt to the relationship. Yeah. I bring financial insecurity to the relationship because at the time I didn't have a job. Um, you know, there was all these other things. That's honestly looking at what do I bring to the, oh, I bring baggage. Um, yeah, drama, <laughs> yes. like whatever it is. Yeah, you've got to look at those things and be honest. And if you're not fully being honest, trust me, God will bring it to you and it will present itself. Yeah. Like we always talk about when you when you pray for patience, God puts you at the end of the line. Or, you know, yep. you, you pray for forgiveness and... Someone that you don't want to forgive all of a sudden shows up in your life. Yes. Yes. Presents themselves with this thing that you were yeah. like, I'm never going to forgive them for that. Yeah. And yes. Picking a partner, a love interest, is one of the most important decisions in your life because it determines the course of where you're going often. So pick carefully. Yeah. And you can use all of these 12 steps to dissect or to pick a partner like look at the spiritual principles of the step like humility honesty perseverance discipline brotherly love do they have those qualities yeah i don't like it when people say love is enough because it's not no. if that is the standard just love is enough how many women and men do we know that are abused that are like but i love them uh, like it's not enough it's the starting point let's right. start with love are they kind and compassionate and respectful, respectful. and understanding yeah. and go that route and give yourself time to grieve I do not think we grieve hard enough or long enough mm -hmm. let yourself grieve because who wants to be with someone that's still grieving a past relationship not me thank you I would say if you're going out on dates and either of you is talking about your last relationship don't date excessively or unhealthily yeah yeah there's, I mean, there's times where you have to bring it up, but sure. I've sat across the table from men on a first date that, like, I know her name. <laughs> I know when they broke up. I know how many times they've talked since. And I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am mock. And I'm, I've also paid the price for a man's ex-girlfriend's mistakes. Man. Oh, so okay. I've been punished for the crimes of other women, just like I've punished mm -hmm. men for the crimes of men I've been with. Yeah. So, I mean, we could do a three-part series on this topic, relationships. So, I hope... Deal breakers, that's another thing that I think is important. Yeah. And it's not something that I ever stuck to in early recovery <laughs> or before sobriety. <laughs> you know, people could walk all over me and I could walk all over them and we'd still stay together. Yeah. Because being, a, being alone was worse somehow in my mind. Yeah. And it's so not so not and there is such a richness in recovery and in sobriety that um it's okay to be alone you know you need to be you need to learn how to be okay being alone and i spent two years being my own best damn boyfriend let me tell mm -hmm. you i bought myself flowers i bought myself chocolates i took myself to movies i rubbed my own feet yep like do Candlelight it like dinners why not played yourself some romantic guitar i dance yeah by myself it's all good yep because it's coming it's coming yeah so you trust. deserve goodness so of course it's going to come and i'm not just talking to julie i'm talking to everybody we deserve goodness and if you are patient and if you actively work your program 
goodness in whatever form it's supposed to take for you. Maybe that goodness is for you to be alone. I know some pretty really happy people who are alone, who are living a good, solid, happy, contented, sober life. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need a partner in order to have a good life. No. And learn how to be the kind of person you want to be with. Like think, look at yourself honestly in the mirror and say, if some, if I met someone like me today, would that be good for me? Mm -hmm. Would I be in a good relationship? Fuck yeah. I'm awesome. Me too. (laughs) So we hope that helps this. Obviously these two topics were very meaningful for us. This one has been 19 minutes. So uh, as, as we said before, thanks for sticking with us. If you lasted all the way to the end, you get a cookie. And uh, we really appreciate that you're here with us. You are our brothers and sisters in sobriety. And mm-hmm. we do this podcast uh, as our 12-step work and as an act of love. It's not the only thing. Julie goes to jails. She goes to rehab centers. You I are like it. a fucking spiritual goddess. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no wonder you're fucking tired. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> you're exhausted. Yeah. But we are, we are so glad you're here. So thanks very much for joining and listening and uh, riding the recovery wave with us. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And this has been Two Sober Chicks. Happy 24.